Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruffy and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Although truth be told, I am not in Wisconsin. I'm in New York City with my Citizen Action team that joins me today on this podcast. I'm joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director, and our special guest, Lou Sosa, our organizer, an organizer here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. Welcome, Lou. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, as the case may be. Hello, Matt. This is Luz. Yeah, Luz. I'm glad you're able to join us. And and with that, we're gonna our first topic is gonna be uh, we're gonna talk about what's been going on uh, in both the uh, following the Mexican earthquake and the hurricanes that have hit the Caribbean, in particular uh, uh, Puerto Rico and uh, other, other U.S. Uh, territories and what's been going on there and how our members are responding. Uh, we're also going to talk about healthcare. It was a huge week in healthcare, as most of our listeners know, in terms of the Graham-Cassidy bill going down. We'll talk more about that. We'll also be joined by one of our Healthcare for All organizing cooperative members, Christine Ralph. She will join us to talk a little bit more about what they're doing and what they're going to be doing going forward uh, around the federal budget and health care. And we'll also talk a little bit about what's been going on with the NFL players, and we got a little weed act and some other issues that we'll talk about at the end of our show. But with that, we are really excited that Luz Sosa is able to join us. Luz is the lead organizer for Acción Ciudadana, which is re- organizing it within the Latino community throughout Wisconsin, but also particularly in Milwaukee. And in particular... They have been responding to what's been going on uh, uh, both in Mexico with the earthquake and also the hurricanes. But before we talk and dive into lose what your members have been doing, let's talk a little bit more about the politics of this. Uh, we have this, both, these, both this earthquake, but in particular the Puerto Rican hurricane and the response or lack of response from our government to address this. Luz, I'd really love to get your thoughts about uh, how this is all playing out. I think, Matt, what is very concerning is that um, when we talk about Puerto Rico, a lot of people actually don't understand or don't know that Puerto Ricans are American. And this is a territory that that has about 3.5 million Americans that are struggling. And so it is very concerning that our president doesn't see this as a priority um, and that he doesn't see that these are Americans that are in trouble. Well, you're absolutely right about Puerto Rico. Uh, largely, a lot of our a lot of folks in America may not even realize that, that they're citizens. And, and let's talk a little bit more about that, uh, obviously, how Puerto Rico became part of U.S. and, and why maybe are we finding this where a lot of folks don't see them as Americans. Yeah, so um, Puerto Rico is a, is a commonwealth state. Uh, so that means that it's not a state, per se, of the United States, but it has uh, rights, um, and they can vote in certain elections. Um, they cannot vote for president, unfortunately, but they can vote for the primary presidential elections, and um, they do have uh, U.S. representatives, um, that represent them at the federal level. Um, however, they are not really able to uh, vote 
as um, the other U.S. representatives. So they're in this situation where they're in, but they're not really in. And so um, uh, Puerto Ricans, a lot of Puerto Ricans, from what I can see, they still feel, and especially with this situation, they see that the, they are a colony and they're not really treated as equal. So, Luz, this is Robert. So there's the issue of Puerto Rico's status that goes all the way back to the uh, Spanish-American War in the 1890s, where we also took the Philippines, uh, uh, made Cuba kind of a dependency. Cuba later became independent, as everyone knows. Um, and I, Guam also uh, became an American territory at that point. And at that point, there was, it was a time of exceptional racism. It was when Jim Crow uh, was first developing. And so it's managed to be on the back burner where Puerto Ricans are Americans, but they're not fully Americans, as you, as you are saying. And so there seems to be much more attention to Florida and Texas and the hurricanes that hit them than there is to what happened in Puerto Rico. I mean, there, there have been these graphics on CNN where the, literally all the lights have gone off, right? And, uh, there, and there needs to be a, a tremendous, like, Marshall Plan-like rescue of our fellow American citizens that isn't happening. So you have that, and then you have the issue of the, the, right, the, the conservatives in the United States being the only major party in the world that actually denies that there's climate change. And so uh, wealthier countries, our country, the wealthiest Americans, Wall Street speculators, petroleum industry, the likes of the Koch brothers have benefited greatly from the burning of fossil fuels and continue to want to burn more. But now this is going to have tremendous effects for, uh, on people in the southern hemisphere or people in the, in, the, in the southern part of the northern hemisphere like Puerto Rico. And it's going to tend to be uh, unequitable because uh, people of color uh, who are poor tend to live in the southern hemisphere or, or or closer to the equator, including the southern part of the northern hemisphere. If you have both the issue of Puerto Rico uh, not uh, not being treated like the rest of the country, despite being part of the country, then you have the issue of this is predictable. There's going to be more of this. So even if we did rebuild Puerto Rico and the president stopped just tweeting about NFL players and whether or not they're locking arms or not, right, uh, over over police practices and uh, and Black Lives Not Mattering when it, 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 it when it when it when it has to do it has to do with interactions with police officers, uh, he's much more focused on that than on rescue Puerto Rico. But he's certainly not also focused on preventing. Uh, future hurricanes, uh, Category 5 hurricanes, by actually uh, reducing global carbon. He's pulled out of the Paris, the Paris Climate Accords. Correct. And the other part that we um, have to mention is that um, the Jones Act, which is also known as the Merchant Main Act of 1920, um, has been a, an act that actually has been preventing uh, Puerto Rico from getting more help and that was something so simple that the president could have done immediately to um, help Puerto Rico get the relief that they needed. And it took several days and a lot of public pressure for him to actually uh, lift this, um, this uh, Merchant Main Act, or known, known as the Jones Act, um, to actually for him to make a difference and actually uh, lifted, um, which is what he what he did this morning. So, um, so uh, what we can see is that even the the most minor uh, actions that he could have done to help Puerto Rico 
uh, he has not done it unless he had public pressure and people actually uh, rallying around this this issue. And the shocking thing with the, with the Jones Act lose is, is that the shipping industry, till the end, was still lobbying to keep it in effect. So uh, Trump promised to drain the swamp in Washington. Uh, it, it looks like he's filling the swamp. So, quite frankly, I hate the drain the swamp metaphor because guess what? We need wetlands, right? Uh, but do you think that the hurricanes? You, you see that you see the disparate concern, right? Where Puerto Ricans. Are, are, do not receive the same level of concern from Trump and many other Americans that that that, uh, that folks in Florida or Texas receive. But do you think that this begins to awaken people the idea that this climate disaster, this is just an unfolding climate disaster, is going to be incredibly unequal, and where people who have benefited less, people who are poorer, people who are who are who tend to be people of color are going to pay a much heavier price uh, than, than, say, the, 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 people who, the, the people in Wall Street and in corporate America who are running off with, with all of the proceeds of an ongoing fossil fuel economy when we know darn well we need to transition to a clean economy immediately to prevent a disaster and a genocide. This is actually going to put a lot of uh, more pressure in organizers like me to make sure that our Latino communities are organized and educated on this issue so that we can actually lobby our Congress and our members, uh, our uh, state officials, to actually act on this, um, and we can have more preventive um actions that we can take instead of having to be in this situation where 3.2 million Americans are completely desperate, no food, no electricity, and, um, and, and they're even saying that it, it's an apocalyptic-like uh, um, situation where people are so desperate that they are uh, stealing from supermarkets, they're stealing from each other, um, or killing each other. And um, so we, we, need, we really need the Latino community to be organizing on this issue so that we can actually prevent this situation. Luz, that's, that's, a, that's an excellent point, and we're going to dive a little deeper into that on the back end of this break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are joined by Lou Sosa, our organizer here at Citizen Action, and Robert Craig, and we're having a really good conversation about what has been going on in Puerto Rico in terms of the lack of response. And Lou's, before we broke, you were talking a bit about the utter de uh, desperation that is going on uh, in Puerto Rico and uh, Vieques and other places where they're basically cut off. And we, you mentioned the Jones, uh, 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 I forget what you call it, that stopped has really limited the ability of uh, resources to get in. Uh, but talk more about, if you could, uh, a little bit more about what you guys are doing, what, what uh, members of, of uh, your cooperative are doing 
to uh, start to help. Yes, something that I'm very proud of uh, our organization is that we have excellent members and excellent leaders who are always willing to help and take it to the next level. And uh, one of the things that we have done is, first of all, partner up with other members in the Latino community and other uh, organizations um, to actually have a place where we can store some of the items that we need uh, for the people in Puerto Rico and Mexico. Uh, one of those organizations is El Conquistador, and uh, they have been uh, amazing at uh, just bringing all of the items. Um, and um, some of our members actually talked to organizations from Chicago to see if um, we can get more items. Um, yesterday, we actually received 900 tons of help, and that means um, two semis that were completely full of water, clothing, uh, and any supply that actually um, our brothers and sisters from Puerto Rico will receive, and also um, the people from, from Mexico. So we're really proud of all of the work that our members have have done. And um, right now we're storing uh, some of those items also at one of our members' uh, business uh, at Candelas, which is on 27, uh, sorry, 2537 West National Avenue. And if anybody else who is actually listening would like to help, uh, that is where we're receiving uh, more items. So it's at Candelas Bar, and it is located at 2537 West National Avenue. Uh, any help is, uh, is appreciated. We need a lot of uh, mosquito repellents. That's the other thing that we should probably be talking about, the diseases that might happen with, with this issue. Uh, it's all of the mosquito issues that we have uh, heard before, Zika and uh, the West Nile and, you know, other issues that, that might bring, unfortunately, long-term uh, damage to to the island. So, um, so we definitely need uh, mosquito repellents. We need um, uh, candles, uh, batteries, um, and anything else that you might think that it will be helpful. Please bring it to um, to Candela's bar. Well, Luz, obviously, we are incredibly grateful for the the leadership that you and, and the members of the co-op and other folks from the community have shown in terms of this response and really want to encourage people, please help out if you can. But with that, we do want to change our topic and talk about what has been going on with healthcare this week. It was a huge week in terms of, obviously, we talked last week about the bill, that uh, zombie bill that came back on healthcare, and uh, it died almost as quickly as it came. Robert, uh, obviously want to get your thoughts on this. Yes. So, uh, Speaker McConnell, I mean, Majority Leader McConnell has decided not to hold a vote on the Graham Cassidy Heller Johnson bill, also known as Trump Care 3, uh, because they lost too many members who were going to vote against it, that is Republicans. And so we're in a, we continue to be in this strange situation where uh, the public has entirely changed its position, really, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act on health care and think that it is the government's role to guarantee everyone has health care no matter what and Republican attempts to do a bait-and-switch, to say they're going to provide it, like Senator Johnson did in the last election, and then to try to do the opposite. And they, they are able to get most Republican senators and congressmen to, to go, uh, go along with this. 
uh, but not all of them, and they need almost every single one. They can only lose two votes in the uh, Senate, and they keep losing at least three votes. And so we, we've had – I think the Affordable Care Act is not out of danger because they will try again. It's important to recognize that the giant tax cuts that were in Trump Care 1 and 2, uh, that is that they were appalled that the Affordable Care Act is in part paid for uh, by uh, – by small, small amounts of taxes on the wealthiest Americans, on investment income and on Medicare. Uh, those are not reversed in Trump Care 3. And so, but they were going to do extremely damaging things, and they were going to phase out all the subsidies by 2026. And so in many ways, uh, the uh, Graham-Cassidy bill was worse. Uh, but we can expect this to come back again, just not right away. Uh, and, it may, and in 2018, they, they may well, way well try again because they seem extremely motivated. So it's a challenging situation for progressives and for health care advocates because after a while, people, you're afraid people will get tired of the resistance, right, if there's a Trump Care 4 uh, sometime next year. But we're going to have to keep resisting, and then we're going to have to bring this right into the election and make sure we do not have majorities in Congress that are capable of doing this ever again. Yeah, Robert, you mentioned that uh, we might have to be prepared for Trump Care 4. Well, Donald Trump has been out today even talking about as if health care is still alive and that they actually have the votes, which they don't have, right? And then, in fact, even uh, Lindsey Graham, the very time that uh, uh, I believe it was this Thursday morning, uh, Trump was out there talking and saying that they had the votes, while Lindsey Graham was sent out an email to everyone don't have the vote uh, but I think your point is very well taken that we ought to be prepared for for, for Trump care for because these folks just well, one they've shown that they're going to go back and forth to the well but this is a this is an issue that uh, doesn't seem to want to go away although I must say I actually believe this issue has done amazing things to galvanize the the opposition right to to the republicans and has been a obviously a central a, a central part of the resistance and has really done it in many ways to sort of galvanize uh, the progressive movement but i i totally agree that this is possible uh that we could see trump care uh coming back real real so just so folks know, the reason they were trying to do it this week is because the budget reconciliation instructions that would allow them to do this with only 50 votes plus Vice President Pence's vote uh, expires at the end of September, according to the uh, Senate parliamentarian. So if they have another Budget Recon Reconciliation Act next year, and this was part of it, they could do that again, potentially, but they can, they're not going to be able to do it. Um, this year again, but they could bring it back next year if they can set up similar rules for the next federal budget. So we go immediately into a federal budget debate where they also may try to do it within the budget itself. And so uh, our new healthcare organizing cooperative in, in Citizen Action Wisconsin, uh, Healthcare for All uh, Co op, is going to be focused very much on waiting for the federal budget uh, battle that's coming up. And they, they're going to, and that's where we, where the healthcare debate could reemerge, either in attacks on ACA, Medicaid, or Medicare, or all three. Oh wait, Robert, I'm I'm sitting here, and a tweet just came across. Trump says he's got 61 votes. Oh no, that's just no, that's not true. I'm kidding. Well, but he's uh, saying two things, Matt. He's saying he has the votes, but he's willing to work with Democrats. So there is this bipartisan process with. 
Lamar Alexander from Tennessee and Patty Murray from Washington. We'll see if that produces anything. That is still kind of floating out there, and Trump uh, is for two inconsistent things, which can surprise the audience. But he says he's for that, too, but he doesn't really need it because he has the votes anyway, even though uh, no Republican senator will stipulate to that. Well, Robert, you mentioned the budget coming up, and again, uh, that is straight ahead. And uh, we're going to take a break here shortly, but uh, on the back end of this break, we are going to talk with one of those co-op members that you mentioned, that is uh, Christine Ralph, and she is uh, from the Ozaki area and is someone who has been uh, really active and is helping the pushback and organizing around the budget. But when we get back, we will uh, we'll talk more about looking forward and what is the next step of the healthcare fight. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. I'm Matt Brusky, and we are Citizen Action Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And we are talking health care. Uh, the Graham Cassidy bill went down in flames this week, or as Robert likes to remind us, or excuse me, Senator Johnson likes to remind us, uh, he is a co sponsor, but the bill is done. And part of uh, what we want to talk about now is we have. One of our members from our Healthcare for All Organizing Cooperative, which has been doing a lot of work organizing not only against what's been going on as it relates to the uh, re- efforts to repeal healthcare, but also looking forward as to where we want to go. And w- so we have a member to a member joining us today. That is Chris Ralph. She is again a member with the Healthcare for All Organizing Cooperative. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, Chris, tell us a little bit about who you are and and, and why you felt it was so important to join the Healthcare for All Organizing Cooperative. Sure. Um, Well, I live uh, right now in the town of Cedarburg, and I've been there um, just about 10 years. My husband and I moved there. We're both military veterans. Uh, I work, I'm a a small business owner, and uh, I have, uh, I'm, I'm the only employee, so I guess that's about as small as you can get. Um, and I've been involved in a, an activist group called D6 Fawn, and we try to keep tabs on all the issues we care about. And one of the issues that uh, myself and our members care most about is health care. And so when I heard that Citizen, Citizens Action was forming a healthcare cooperative, I was very, very excited. And so I, I joined on and, um, you know, it's just been wonderful to have a full-time organizer that can help us stay on top of the issues and organize some pushback against some of the legislation that's going on, but also offer uh, some solutions of, of what healthcare could look like for Wisconsin. Yeah, and just to let our listeners know, the co-op has been uh, uh, calling folks who are Medicaid eligible and encouraging them to call Senator Johnson's office and get involved in the fight. And these are folks that are directly impacted, potentially could be losing their health care, may or may not totally know what's going on, uh, and are also important people in the 2018 election. So this is really, really important work that uh, the cooperative is, uh, has been doing. Um, and Chris, if I'm correct, you were also involved in the rally this Monday outside Senator Johnson's office. Yeah, that's right. We had, um, I, I'm going to say, 60 to 70 people out there and people from all walks of life. So healthcare providers, um, in-home uh, aides, uh, doctors and, and patients 
and we had a we had a rally to oppose the the Graham Cassidy, and everybody is a stakeholder in our healthcare process, and so you know it, it was just wonderful to see just a a, a great uh, diversity of of people from different walks of life there. But we all have one thing in common, which is you know we think everybody ought to have quality, affordable healthcare. Well, and of course, it, the next step of this fight, it appears uh, that the Republicans are going to use the budget battle to go after a lot of the same objectives that they had in the the repeal, and in particular, really go after Medicaid. And uh, talk a little bit more about what uh, the organizing cooperative is already doing to try to prepare for that that fight. And again, also, you mentioned laying out a vision about where we ought to be going. Yeah, so, um, you know, you mentioned the phone banks, and I think one of the things that the cooperative uh, really has a role in is education. I think most people don't understand uh, the impact that um, some of the, the proposed legislation, now it's moved on to the budget, is, is going to have on, on people's lives. So uh, educating people through, through phone calls, and then also uh, what we're looking to do is hold some healthcare forums. So we're looking to get out into the communities, bring together doctors and, um, and experts, and actually provide education, um, and uh, especially in areas that um, you know, get outside of the city. Um, Ozaki County right now, there is a tremendous um, interest in, in this issue. And so if we can get out there and educate people, help them understand what's at stake, you know, I think they're going to be a lot more interested in calling their elected representatives, but also in, in, in voting to make sure that, that their health care interests are met. You know, Chris, one of the things I've often heard in the past, particularly about elections and politics, is People are always saying, you know, you progressives and Democrats, you know, you're always focused on these areas, you know, uh, like Milwaukee and base areas where there's a lot of Democrats. And you're not really we're not focused enough in Ozaki County. So I really love this idea that you guys are really prioritizing Ozaki, which is not a, a Democratic core area, but has a good, solid group of Democrats in there who often don't get talked to. So uh, I talk a little bit more about that, uh, about your assessment of Ozaki that way and, and why you think this work is, is, is so important. Well, I think, you know, people kind of write off Ozaki County. They call it Ruby Red Ozaki County. And I think there is a lot of support for progressives and progressives issue uh, issues. I'll give you an example. Um, I marched in the uh, Winterfest parade. I think that was back in February, and there were six of us. And we walked right behind uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman, so that was a treat. Um, and the next parade uh, this summer, we we got a group of together and marched in the Thienesville parade. Now we had about 25 people, uh, and this was the Ozaki County Democrats. The last parade we walked in was Port Washington Fish Day. We had about 60 people. Uh, we took up a whole city block, and some people in the crowd actually ran out and hugged us and said, hey, where have you guys been all this time? So... I think there's a tremendous amount of support for progressives in Ozaki County. I think it's just uh, a matter of reaching out to them. And then beyond Ozaki County, you get into Washington County. You know, there's a lot of, of, of rural people that have been hurt um, by, by the policies that Madison ha- you know, has been putting out. I, I, my, my uncle um, passed away a couple weeks ago, and, and he was buried a couple days ago. 
And after a month in the hospital with emphysema, his family's left with $60,000 in, in medical bills. So, you know, these are folks that we kind of, you know, we think are always going to support uh, Republicans, but they're hurt by this health care situation just as much as anybody. And I think the more we can get out there and hold forums and phone bank and talk to these people, I think you're going to see... Um, you're going to see interest. You're going to see interest in this issue, and I think it's going to uh, to help us in the elections. Well, I'm I, I feel very strongly that this kind of work is absolutely critical if we're going to start to change the way Ozaki County uh, is well not only organized but then how that reflects in voting patterns. And so I think. Chris, the work that you and other folks in the co-op and other folks in groups like Fawn that are, are coming together to try to figure out how do we build this organization is, is uh, instrumental. So, folks, if you think what you're hearing about town halls, calling critical voters, organizing in Ozaki is really important and you like what you're hearing about the Healthcare for All co-op, I want to strongly encourage you to join. And uh, if you want, would like to get more information, we'll have a link on our webpage. But you can also reach out to katie.dunn, that's K-A-T-I-E dot Dunn, D-U-N-N, at Citizen Action W-I. She is that amazing lead organizer that Chris referenced earlier, and she can get you all the information you need about the cooperative. Uh, before you go, Chris, wanted to talk a little bit more about this whole idea that uh, we ought to potentially be trying to figure out how do we run people in these areas where sometimes, you know, may seem like uh, this is a hopeless cause, can't win, districts are gerrymandered against us, it's too Republican an area, and so, you know, there ends up not being focus. Uh, I've heard that you might be interested in helping address that problem. You want to, you got any news you might want to tell our listeners? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that segue. Um, yes. I'm, I'm happy to announce that I'm going to be running for assembly district 60, which incorporates, uh, Cedarburg, uh, parts of Jackson, Port Washington, Sockville, uh, Belgium, uh, Fredonia, and then some parts of Washington County. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, it's going to be challenging, but I look at this as an opportunity to get a foot in the door, have some meaningful conversations with constituents. And, um, you know, it's time that we, we just can't let these candidates that would take away our health care, that would have, you know, that would have such a negative impact on our lives, we just can't let them run unopposed. So I'm excited to be running um, in, in Assembly District 60. Uh, Mike Thoreau, he's another strong progressive candidate. He's running in Assembly District 24. We've got some candidates looking uh, to run against Ott. So I think we're going to have a full slate of progressive candidates um, in Ozaki and in Washington County, and I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. I'm super excited, and I, I think it's great that we have an organizing cooperative member uh, taking the jump and, and making this run, because we think it's fundamentally important that we start doing a way better job in recruiting progressive candidates who have a different vision and who are really thinking long-term about where we need to go uh, on important issues like health care. So a big shout-out and salute to you for, for taking up the challenge to run, but not only just running, running and doing this important organizing work and thinking really strategically about how do we actually start to uh, change the, the needle there uh, in Ozaki County. So I really want to thank you for running, and I want to encourage our listeners to uh, 
reach out to you if they're interested in helping you. So, uh, Chris, could you, uh, if you're interested, if you have some contact info for people who maybe want to get involved in helping you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so you can hit me up on Facebook right now, Christine Ralph, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-R-A-H-L-F. I will have a website up within the next couple of weeks, and that will be Chris Ralph for Assembly. Also, if you look up D6, the letter D6-FAWN, F-A-W-N, that is our, um, that is our grassroots group. Um, you, can, you can look me up there as well. So multiple ways to reach out to me. Well, Chris, we really appreciate, one, being in our organizing cooperative and helping organize for the future, but two, uh, for you running, and three, for you taking the time to join us on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. And with that, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back here at the Battleground with Scott. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. I'm Matt Brusky, and we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And we need to talk a little bit about this crazy, just craziness around what has been going on with the NFL players and now also owners and and the whole situation. And so, Robert, I, I know you have some thoughts, and I, I, I just I want to give you an opportunity to talk about this. Yes, and we have Scott Walker weighing in as well on the NFL players. But I just want to say that this has been amazing because the great reality TV star, uh, Donald Trump, decided probably to, call, to, to shift attention away from the healthcare, upcoming health care laws because it was pretty clear late last week that, uh, that Graham Cassidy Johnson was, go, was, was in trouble, uh, decided to pick a fight with the NFL and suggest that NFL owners should go and fire any players who exercise their First Amendment rights uh, to protest. And, of course, this has blown it up way beyond Colin Kaepernick, who was the great, you know, the person who, who went out front and is, actually doesn't have a job right now uh, because of his bravery. But a whole lot of other NFL players participating, starting with the game in London. Uh, that was the first NFL game on Sunday because it was earlier in London. And then spreading throughout the day in various forms. And so it has been stunning, and this is also a... Uh, literally bizarre because Scott, because Trump has tweeted many, many, many more times on the NFL uh, than he has on Puerto Rico, where, as we talked about in the first segment with Lou Sosa, who is still with us, uh, that, you know, that is a huge catastrophic human rights concern for American citizens. Here he is engaged here. And I just love uh, that the locking of arms and then the cowboy solution, I don't love it's the cowboy solution, but it was a good solution of locking arms and kneeling before the anthem because Trump's ridiculous position, and this is, a, this is not just Trump, this is part and parcel of right-wing conservative ideology in America, that if you um, do anything, any kind of protest related to the national anthem, that you were disrespecting all the troops. I mean, a lot of the troops are, are, are people of color who are, who are very, very directly affected by the, by the way uh, African-American men are treated um, in poor neighborhoods in this country by the police. And this idea that any kind of protest disrespects the troops, is, it, it, it's part and parcel of right-wing ideology, but it's just not true. And the disrespect for the First Amendment that they show is far more un-American 
than, than any of these protests are. These protests are the ultimate in being an American and saying controversial things and using your First Amendment rights. But we had, and I won't lose to comment on this, but we had Scott Walker's mealy mouth response today. It's, it's in the media. He said, this is Scott Walker, I personally believe and my family believes that when the national anthem is played for all those men and women who fought like the people when I was in Korea a few weeks ago, I laid a wreath at the monument for the Korean War. By the way, Scott Walker did not exactly serve in any wars. And I thought of my uncle who was in the Korean War. For all those veterans and all those men and women fighting today, I just think it's crucially important and personally to show respect and put my hand over my heart. But in terms of what others do, I'll leave it to them to explain what they do and don't do. I just want to separate what on earth does finding a way as a football player to protest ongoing racism in this country. How is that when 40 percent of our, of our men, men and women in arms are people of color? How is that disrespectful uh, to the troops? Uh, but I'll let Lou's comment on that. I think this is just a distraction uh, from what um, the real protest is about. The real protest is about protesting racism and uh, police brutality. And like I said, he's just creating a distraction from what the real point of this protest is. And a lot of the veterans have actually come out on Twitter and Facebook saying, uh, I went to war to fight for your right to actually stand up or to sit down, or do whatever you want to do in this country. So a lot of them actually came out on our side saying, you have the right to protest. Otherwise, you can go to a different country where you have a dictatorship and you actually have no freedom of expression, right? So, so the veterans actually are on, are on our, our side on this. And it's this false position that's designed to shut down debate, which is the, the most democratic thing to do, the most American thing to do. Now, remember, it reminds me of the Iraq war stickers, the pro-Iraq war stickers that said support our troops. And they were very cynical because they suggested that anyone who wasn't supporting the war was not supporting the troops, right? And those same folks are not interested in funding veterans' affairs or having enough, uh, enough uh, psychological help for all of the, uh, the, the post-traumatic stress that you face when you're in a war zone like that and on multiple duties. And so... Support for the troops is not even really for the actual troops. It's for some sort of idea of the troops, like the troops you see in ads for the Marines trying to recruit people as opposed to the actual men and women uh, that we actually should care about for the rest of their lives once they serve our country. Uh, but it, what's interesting about this is, is that the great reality star in many ways has met his match because the NFL is the most popular thing there is. And you have a, it's, a, it's a majority African-American league. And what's fascinating is these Trump-supporting owners of the Robert Kraft, who owns the Patriots, uh, Jerry Jones, who owns Dallas, uh, Tom Brady, who is a Trump supporter, there they are kneeling arm-in-arm with the African-American football players. Now, is that a more American image and more about unity and standing together? Or is Trump trying to tweet about the NFL as a distraction for the crash and burn of Trump care part about 3.0, is that more American? It's not only that, but the question should be, why are these Trump supporters actually doing that, right, these owners of the NFL? And I don't think they're doing it actually for the cause. And, you know, people might disagree with me on this, but they're actually doing it because they don't want Trump to tell them what to do. 
And Trump is telling them uh, you should fire these, uh, you know, these uh, players because they disagree with me. And it's not because, uh, you know, they're doing a bad job or anything like that. So I think these owners uh, who are usually Trump supporters are actually kneeling and locking arms because they don't want to be told what to do. And it does feel, I think, lose like an authoritarian tendency. Mm-hmm. And authoritarianism isn't just about whether you have a dictator. It's about a state of mind. It's about an attitude. And the fascist regimes in the early 20th century, they try to create this idea that unless you supported fat, the only way to be a true German or a true Italian or a true, true Spaniard, if you supported Franco, the fascist, was to support this ideology and to create a false equivalency between an ideology like Trumpism, which actually uh, says that, for example, immigrants are not really part of the country, even though they are here and contributing immeasurably to the country and are part of all our communities, right? It's the same kind of thing. So it creates this sort of uh, uh, false fictional view of what the nation is and what we're loyal to as represented not by flesh and blood people, not by whether we live up to our ideals, because, quite frankly, an African-American young men living, living in a situation where they feel targeted all the time and they're much more likely to go to jail for the same offenses and have their lives destroyed than, than a similarly situated white American, right? That that is not the point, not living up to ideals. The point is some sort of abstract, pure connection to the flag and stand in the national anthem. I think it's great to stand for the national anthem, but let's stand for what America means and let it represent that, not just some empty formalism or, or, or song that doesn't have real social and, and ideological content I mean, in terms of the, the true, true or better angels of our nature. Not only that, but let's stand for what, uh, you know, Our Lady Liberty, since we're in New York, uh, you know, stood for. She stood for the people who were poor, for the people who were vulnerable, for, for the people who were looking for opportunities. And, and so that is very important to remind us we are standing, we need to stand up for what is right. Uh, not necessarily just for symbols or songs. And so I know the other kind of draining the swamp thing that was going on this week was is that now uh, Tom Price, the Health and Human Services Secretary, who's been leading the health care repeal efforts, Trump is angry at him because he's spending all this money on, on, on chartered flights. Of course, that's kind of rich, given how much it costs to move Trump around in his entourage to various golf resorts that he owns. Uh, but that there's a great juxtaposition between what's happening in the NFL, where even right-wing owners feel like they need to stand with their players or kneel with their players and lock arm with their players, and what's going on in the Trump administration. Well, with that information, Robert, we got to fly. This podcast needs, or this show needs to come to a close. So I want to first thank Luz Sosa for joining us. Luz, thank you so much. And I want to thank our other guest, Chris Rolfe, from our Healthcare for All organizing cooperative. And uh, Chris announced on the show she'll be running for assembly. So we want to thank Chris. And with that, we always want to thank our producer Brian Wildridge who made this uh, show happen and it was a more difficult show to record this week so big shout out and thanks to Brian Wildridge and of course thank you listeners for listening every week and we will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.